Welcome to the Companion Gundog Podcast. I'm your host, Grayson Geyer, and with me, as always, is Emily Shirey. How are you doing, Emily? I'm doing well, Grayson. How are you doing? I'm doing very well, thank you. It has been a long time since we got together for one of these. I honestly can't remember the last time we sat down. It's been a long fall, but a good fall for me so far. How about yourself? Yeah, it's been really busy, but it's certainly been a good one. There are... uh, there are a lot of dogs in the kennel right now, <clears throat> um, and there have been. So uh, I am into my second class of uh, of mostly pointing dogs uh, in this kind of new system that I've worked out. So what I've decided to do, and I know we we talked about it, I believe, it, at, at length on one podcast, but I have decided to bring dogs in for six-week cycles. And since the great majority of the dogs that are coming in for me are are new dogs with new handlers, kind of novice handlers with green dogs, um, I like six weeks uh, for, I would say, top of the bell curve to, uh, to back on the bell curve about 25%. So I can, I can take dogs that maybe aren't um, the best dogs in the world, and within six weeks, get them to a good baseline where I think it's safe to take them hunting. That's the objective. And when I say not the best dogs in the world, I'm not. I'm just talking not your field trial prospects, but something that should make a decent gun dog. Um, and so that worked out really nicely in my September class. For the most part, we did have uh, we we are learning as we go with this with with kind of putting a time limit on things, kind of what to expect moving forward um, and where we might run into trouble. And so we, we did see some things. I've seen some things in this class as well that I want to address. And so really in this podcast, what I want to discuss is what it is we do in one of these training programs or what I do in one of these training programs. And upon turnover, kind of what you should know um, about taking your new dog and with its new training and moving forward and how to kind of give it the best opportunity to become the best dog based on what what it's gotten from me and what it has naturally, what it was born with. And then what you can do to develop your skills as a handler to kind of keep the trend moving in the right direction um, until we speak again after the hunting season, which is the objective. I want to take your dog. I want you to take it hunting. I want you to have a great season. I want you and your dog to get a lot of experience. And then when that's over, I want you to touch base with me. Um, or if you get halfway through and either things are going great and you want to let me know, or, or you're having some trouble, um, and you, and you need to run some things by me, that's fine as well. But you know, what I, what I want more than anything is for you to learn what it is to be a bird hunter with your bird dog, um, and for your bird dog and you to gain experience along the way. And then in February or March, when, when everything's kind of winding down, decide if you're happy with your meat dog um, and going to keep it at the level it's at forever. Or if you uh, want to pursue some hunt tests or field trials or just, you know, get a more well-mannered dog. It depends on how deep are you going to take this hobby. Um, it's a good opportunity for you to go home and figure that out on your own. Um, am I missing anything in there, Emily, with kind of what the objective was of creating the program the way it is? and Just that I think it's really geared towards the companion gun dog owner. Sure. And meaning, you know, most of these dogs that both of us are going to have in for training are going to be pets as well as bird dogs. So, um, you know, and and a 
emphasis on creating a dog that is not only going to be okay to hunt around, but also has pleasant manners and can live in the house as well. Yeah. And, and so that's Emily's primary focus for sure. I, I do have a few dogs that are going to be kenneled with me outside and they're, they're not going to go home with the expectation that I've done a lot of pet obedience type of work, but I do want to send them home with a level of general control that they didn't have before. And if, if your objective is to make those dogs a companion gun dog, you should have a good foundation to build on. The dogs that are being boarded with me in the house, that's the objective. That's the complete idea is that those dogs are going home. They, they understand ritualized lifestyles and general control for me. That's what's really important. I have spoken with, with other friends and I know Emily does things slightly different from me. I'm not going to send you home with any commands necessarily. What we're going to talk about is lifestyle and control. So when I say any commands that that's not necessarily, um, an honest statement, I'm, you know, we're going to have a recall and we're going to have a place command with duration. But at the end of the day, it's, it's less about those things and less about the fact that you and your dog have the ability to kind of be in sync and you have the ability to manage its lifestyle without being managed by it. <laughs> Hopefully that's, that's the idea. So, so that's certainly, um, I I think a, a, a primer on hopefully what you guys can expect when you, you know, when you do business with me at the start, what it is I'm here to help you with, with your dog. Now we're going to talk about how I intend to do that and kind of especially get a little more into the details of what happens when we're building pointing dogs here. And we can, we'll also, you know, we know, We've, we've spoken about it on the podcast. We do retrievers as well, um, so we can get into some of that. But really, um, uh, you know, I just want to kind of go through what a six-week program looks like start to finish. Um, so I've decided, like I said, to kind of make uh, a, a very – stable and regimented program so that I have an idea of where I can, how I can set my year up to best help my clients that are coming in. Like I said, most of us are, most of the ones that are coming in are novices with green dogs. Uh, and I've, and I've already mentioned that I feel like six weeks is an appropriate amount of time to fix, help those dogs and develop uh, good basic hunting dogs with good manners to go home and be good companion gun dogs. Also, if I need more time, if I have somebody with broader objectives for me personally, I'm not, I don't want for my novice handler with their green dog to come in and leave their dog with me any longer than six weeks. I don't want them to come in and say, you know what I really want is a finished dog or a dog that, um, has a higher level of training than what you can accomplish in six weeks. So I'd like to leave it three months or, you know, six months or whatever. I'm not, I'm really not interested in doing that on our first meeting. Now, if you come back and you say, look, man, I'm super excited about this and I want to become a field trialer and let's get this dog broke and let's force fetch it in the summertime and all that, then we might look at long-term boarding with me. Everything will run in this six-week cycle. So even if you were to leave your dog later on with me for three months, it's going to come for six weeks. 
and there will be a two-week break between each six-week session. And that's really so that I can have a clean turnover. It allows me to have a reset, give me enough admin time to recognize who's leaving, who's coming. Um, you know, if, if I have any loose ends with any of the dogs leaving and, and things to take care of with the owners, there's time for that. And more than anything, when I was running a a kind of a, a constant turnover in the dogs, I in, inevitably would have somebody say, Hey man, I can't make it this week. I need to leave my dog another week. And then I'd have somebody else on the other end say, Hey man, can, do you mind if I drop my dog a couple of days early? And I have a hard time saying no. And so things that would happen is I would go, Oh crap, I've run out of kennel space and I, and I'd have to get creative and stick a dog over here, keep one in the house that wasn't supposed to be there and upset the family balance as well. Um, and so this allows me to just organize and, and keep from getting myself overwhelmed in that way. And also it allows me to kind of keep the dogs that are here moving as a unit. And that's, and that's very helpful. So not every dog, some, some dogs are going to be more talented than others in certain ways. Um, some are going to come and they're going to have a lot of point and that's going to be great, but maybe they don't have a lot of chase or desire to catch and possess. And in in that regard, they don't have, they're not going to come along with a lot of natural retrieve really early. Some dogs may come out there and they just love birds and they're super excited to chase them down and catch them and put them in their mouth and even bring them back to me so I can reanimate them for them. Um, but they have a hard time getting started pointing. So it, it's it, they're never ever going to be on the same page exactly, but I'm going to get an idea of where everybody is and in uh, comparison to everyone else, and it allows for more productive training. Certainly, more productive training. I think my days are much more effective and efficient this way. I'm not going. Oh man, I've had this dog this many weeks, and I feel like he should be here. I can look at them and go, okay, everybody here is on week three, and that this is what the bell curve looks like. The top of the curve, everybody's beginning to point. The front of the curve, I've got dogs that have pointed for, you know, a week already, and they're really starting to shore it up. And hey, I got a couple of stragglers, but hey, they're they're go getters. They're chasing their bird down. Um, they're doing better than others in certain regards, but I need them to come along with that pointing. Um, and and that's kind of you know out of nine to 10 dogs in training, I would say it's evenly distributed in that regard. I don't have any washouts at this point. Um, I've kind of, I, trying to make a pact with all my current and future clients that, Hey, if your dog is not cut out to do this, I want to let you know that. And it does happen on occasion. I say that I hope to be able to have that knowledge within two weeks, but sometimes we get to week three and things creep up or, um, you know, a dog that has kind of been borderline just doesn't seem to be advancing. And so sometimes we, we need to send dogs home later than two weeks and, or, or at least call and have an honest conversation with the client about what their natural ability is. Um, and that's why we prefer to take dogs in after teething for sure. And usually, you know, I would say nine months is probably the sweet spot before their first hunting season, but I'll take them at seven even six months if they're mature enough, rarely they are. And of course there's no, it's never too late to start. So I'll take them at any age beyond six, seven, eight, nine months. Um, but I really, 
would prefer to have them, you know, not be puppy puppies teething. And so I, I usually will not, uh, will not accept those dogs in training. So, um, it, it kind of helped me figure it. Where, where am I at here? Um, you know, covering what your expectations are for dogs coming in. That's right. So if I, you know, if I get to the end of two weeks and I'm just not sure, I want to, I'm going to try every class to, to have a good conversation with every owner at the two week mark and just give you a good idea of where your dog is, let you know, Hey, if we're seeing problems, um, I want to let you know as early as possible. Yeah. Common problems. And I'll, I'll kind of give you an idea of things that I see that may be hangups for us now, but later in the, in the podcast, I want to kind of break down really in detail what we need to do to address each one of those individually. So, but things that may hold us up, um, reactivity, aggression, things like that. So when I say aggression, if you bring me a dog that's overtly aggressive and he's hard for me to handle, or is it really overtly aggressive with other dogs or my helpers or my partners around here? Um, I'm usually going to say, Hey, you know, I, I don't think this is a good fit. Um, maybe I can recommend a, a behavioral pet trainer for you. And if we can get this dog kind of sorted out in the head, we can, we can try again sometime. Um, so normally if I see overt aggression that makes me feel uncomfortable for those around me and, and myself, nobody wants to, nobody wants to bleed going to work if they can avoid it. Um, you know, we'll, we'll probably, that, that probably will, will not, uh, will not even get started here. Um, but sometimes we get a dog in and, you know, they show up and maybe they're not lacking a little confidence and they give a little growl, but I feel like I can manage them and I just get a feeling. I, I usually am happy to take those dogs. That said, you know, if sometimes just general handling of those dogs, if they're stressing really hard in that first week, they, they're hard to get in and out of the kennel. They get snippy with you. A big one is, is can I load you in the trailer or on the truck? Um, you know, if you're giving me a real problem there and I have to take break, break it down and just really focus on teaching you how to load. If what I need to do before I can even get rolling is, you know, make you comfortable enough being in your own skin in this environment and, t- and go really slow, that's, that's going to hinder our progress early. Um, if I need to teach you pressure on pressure off to get you to load up or to be still or to not bite me when I'm putting you on the check cord or on the, on the, uh, chain gang or taking you out of the kennel and things like that, then, you know, um, that might get to, that might be severe enough that at the end of two weeks, I'm going, man, I feel like I just haven't made I haven't even gotten started with your dog because every interaction is a melee. And I would just like to mention there that um, maybe a lot of these dogs don't display those behaviors at home and that wouldn't be surprising because they've never been an opportunity to display them. So if you've never tried to load your dog up without just picking it up and putting it in the car, maybe it's never tried to bite you. But when we try to load it up by saying, hey, no, I'm not going to pick you up every single time we get in and out of this car every day for the next six weeks, and they try to bite us, it's not surprising. So I think it's really important that 
owners start from when the time the puppy's young and addressing some of these things by back tying them, letting them pull the end of a slip lead and feel their feel them correct themselves on a slip lead and not, you know, if the dog's spending their whole life off leash in a backyard and we put a slip lead on it, it's not going to be happy and yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. going to be hard for us to make serious progress quickly when we have to start at the very basic puppy steps. Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, you, you you hit the nail on the head with that. You, there's a baseline. So like the, you know, I've told, and I've said this before on the podcast, I'm sure, like if you bring me a confident, bold, you know, well-adjusted animal, the sky's the limit. Even if it's a little out of control. Yeah. We'd much rather see that than have a dog that is hard to even put a leash on. Yeah. And it's trying to crawl under the truck when you show up, you know, and, and this is, you know, it's not a knock. I mean, if it, you know, I ride around, there is a dog that for the most part lives in the cab of my truck every day. <laughs> right. So I'm not opposed to someone riding their dog around in the cab of their truck. Now that being said, that same dog will happily load into the box or into a crate when asked. Um, you know, so it's, if you want to ride around with your dog in the cab of your truck, I don't have any issue with that whatsoever. Um, but with that said, it should be able to load into a box or a, or a crate. You don't have to do that. I mean, I, I don't mind going through a little bit of that in day one and two, but if I go, Hey, and I call you at the end of the two weeks and I'm like, man, you know, I had a real, real problem trying to get your dog to load and, and you go, Oh yeah, yeah. No kidding. <laughs> um, he bit the hell out of me, you know, and I tried to load him. So I've never done it again. Cause he bit me and I backed <laughs> off. Well, you know, so he's, you're, you know, so you, that would have been nice information for you to share with me, you know, before, or he's bit everybody that's ever tried to load him and he gets really disgusting about it. And so, uh, I'm not surprised by that behavior, you know, and, and that doesn't, it's not maybe necessarily a deal breaker. I mean, you know, I don't mind assessing it. And if it's something, a lot of times it's something that can be overcome more easily than people think. But that said, if it's a real problem, it's going to, it's just going to hinder my progress. And a six week program is not what you need with me. You know, you need, I, and I'm not, and I'm a bird dog trainer. I got, I got too many dogs to be a behaviorist right now. Right. And that's, I think, a really important um, point to make is this is for training. This is not, this is for training new behavior. This is not for fixing already existing problematic behaviors. So if you've got some behaviors at home that you're dealing with and you think this is going to solve them, this is not the program for you. Unless it's something like, you know, recall. But if you've got some, you know, aggression at home. Yeah. Real aggression, real yeah. fear-based stuff, real nervy stuff. You know, people sometimes, sometimes this is a good place for a dog that has, quote unquote, separation anxiety to come. In the kennel. Yes. In the kennel. You know, sometimes the kennel environment's a great place for that. They get flooded with stimulation that they're not accustomed to and they, and they get through it. Now... Um, that's not always the way to address everything, you know, but when we have anything, whether we're talking humans or dogs or whatever, if we have something that makes us uncomfortable, if we have a fear, then the normal best way, in my opinion, and I'm sure there's evidence to back this up, but I'm too lazy to find it right now, um, to deal with those things are to titer yourself to those, to, to expose yourself or to expose your dog to the thing that makes them uncomfortable in little micro doses and, and, uh, progressively 
um, larger doses until they're no longer, that stimulation is no longer impressive to us or the dog. Uh, and so, you know, sometimes that's, that's the way to go. Sometimes a good way to go is to just stick them on the chain gang or to stick them in the kennel and let them be in the middle of the storm and realize that it's okay, that that's, that can be normalized in normal life. And so not every dog's going to adapt to that, but, but many will. And uh, we're, you know, we're not going to ruin a dog with it. We're not going to, if I if I see a, an animal that is in real distress, I'm not going to put them through a traumatic event. Um, but most dogs are going to um, are going to come through some some anxiety. What you know, like I said, quote unquote anxiety. You know, a lot of times it's because anytime they've shown any any discomfort or fear, they've kind of been isolated and it's been alleviated immediately. It's been, yeah. And so they've kind of learned like, it's a, you know, I need to be, I need to be codependent in order to have comfort in life. And I've not been exposed to things. So sometimes this is exactly what the doctor ordered for that. But now that being said, if we're talking severe cases of fear, uh, whether anything to do with adrenalized states and fight or flight and, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, you know, this is probably not what you're looking for. Um, especially if the dog is not environmentally sound to begin with. And what we, we talk about that word a lot, environmentally sound, meaning you can bring them to a new environment and they don't just immediately hide or you can pull them out of the truck and they're at least somewhat curious and a little bit confident, um, with new situations. If they're environmentally sound to begin with, those dogs are going to be more likely to be gun shy. And that's also going to hinder their experience here. I think, and I just quick, and I could have may have misheard you, but it sounded like you said environmentally sound, which would, it would have been unsound. So an environmentally, if they're not environmentally sound, (laughs) if it's a dog that's environmentally unsound to begin with. And this is, so now, you know, and I know we haven't gotten straight into discussing week by week what the program is here but this is a huge this is probably the most important thing that we can discuss on this podcast i think you know when you when you bring your dog to us i'm going to have an honest conversation to uh, with you and and if i say your dog is environmentally sensitive or environmentally unsound um, that's a huge red flag and so there is if you've ever been on facebook some group about bird dogs and you see anybody post anything about gun shyness, you are guaranteed to see the phrase gun shyness is man-made or gun shyness. Their dogs are made gun shy, not born gun shy. Um, There's some truth to that, but there are dogs that are a hundred percent environmentally stable that have not had, um, have not grown up in environments that should have led to that. There are dogs that have been super isolated their whole lives, and you turn them out of a kennel one one day. And I mean, I've got had experience with this. Probably the best dog that ever came through this place lived in a kennel for three years, never saw a bird, was with me for six months, and was one of the best dogs I've ever seen in my life. Um, and I, I tell talk about that dog all the time. But he was, you know, he had no business, he had no right. Um, by all standards, to have been a great dog because he is he was lacking any form of nurture. He was not developed as a bird dog. Um, so 
I'm not saying that's all there is. I think that, I think that it's like everything else that there are, you know, nothing is black and white. There are absolute shades of gray and usually it's going to be a mix of nature and nurture. We want a dog that's well-bred that can come in here and has the, the genetic, um, propensity to be bird dogs. That being said, we also hope that they've been raised in such a way that they've been exposed to the world in general. You know, the first time they see a rock or a blade of grass is not with me. <laughs> you know, the first time they meet a new human being, it's not me. You know, um, the first time they, their feet get wet, it's not with me. Um, that being said, if it's the first time they've ever heard a gunshot is with me, that's great. Right? If you're not comfortable introducing your dog to a gun. You shouldn't. Please, for the love of God, don't. You know, bring them here. Tell me they've never heard a gun. That'll make me happy. If they have heard a gun and had an adverse reaction, please tell me. All right? Don't leave that on me and to figure, out. to figure it out on my own. Which, you know, luckily we do. We try to diagnose it. You know, we're looking, we're gonna, we're gonna expose gunfire in such a way um, that's gonna tell us if there's a sensitivity. Um and, but sometimes, you know, if we see that, it, it automatically there's, it's hard to see that without taking some level of risk. You know, I mean, if a dog is already gun shy and I may shoot a gun 200 yards away from him and it could trigger that, you know, tra- traumatic response. Um, and so, and, and, if I'm just getting him, say it, you know, it's a new dog and it's week two, week three, and I'm getting him bird crazy, and I go to introduce the gun in the end of week three, beginning of week four, which is kind of on our timeline, and we do it from a great distance while the dog is in drive and feeling all that dopamine, which is the way we want to introduce um, birds and gu- gunfire with a bird crazy dog. And I see that dog immediately shift gears. Now I've got a problem because I did it in the presence of the bird. Right. Um, so I would normally test a dog that has no exposure to gunfire in the presence of a bird. If it's a dog that I know is gun shy, I may not, um, at least not in the traditional way. And, and we'll talk about a little bit about that later. So that kind of brings me though, I guess before we go any further with any of the problems, let's kind of talk Break it down right here and just talk about what week one, two, three, four, five, and six look like. And I'm going to do it really quick. So week one, you drop your dog with me. Um, and it is, we are essentially going to, we're, we're going to develop a rapport. We're going to get to know one another. I'm going to walk the dog around a lot on a leash and I'm going to spend a lot of time with it. I'm going to put an e-collar on it, but I may not begin to introduce the dog in, in week one. Some dogs may show up and I have on occasion some, you know, some dog people that show up and they've had a good collar intro. Um, I have some dogs show up and they've had bad collar intros. Um, so either way, I tell everybody, regardless of what you've done with your dog, they're going to get a collar intro with me. That's usually going to start at the end of week one and flow into week two. Um, my hope is that by the end of week two, you have enough understanding of the collar that I can drop the check cord and we can move freely in a field environment. I'm not going to introduce birds for a while, but I'm going to go out and I want to put 
I call it putting a handle on the dog. I want to put enough of a handle on the dog that I feel comfortable dropping the check cord and letting you kind of explore and get confident away from me and I can turn you. I've got enough of a recall that I can begin to bend you in the field. And if I need to stop and recall you, I'm comfortable doing that. Everybody's going to wear a GPS collar when they're out here, just in case they decide um, that, uh, that they don't want to recall early in that training. But for the most part, we've done this enough and for long enough that, I've, you know, there's a, a certainly an intuitive process. And I know when I can drop that cord and when I can't, you know, with most dogs. So by the end of week two, we're handling into week three, we're introducing birds. And so that's going to start. And we've talked about that. And, you know, we had a whole podcast on pointing dogs and why they do the thing, what things they do. So, you know, if you want to understand a bird intro better, you can go back and listen to that one, but I'm birds here and I'm going to assume every dog here is a brand new bird dog and they need to become a predator before they become a bird dog. I want a dog to be a hunting dog before it's a pointing dog. They need to have the desire to get into the field and quest for the game before I expect any manners out of them. So yes, they're going to come here. They're going to find, uh, you know, we're going to do a bird exposure from the hand first. They're going to see it. They're going to be, they're going to have an opportunity to get full sensory perception of it before they just stumble into it. And then once they've shown me that they've had full sensory perception of it and they're not scared to death of it, um, but they're curious, then we're going to let them have an incidental contact with a, uh, compromised bird. So it may be wings clipped. It may, you know, be be hobbled or crippled or whatever, but it's going to be a compromised bird and they're going to um, spring it, give it chase. It should stimulate prey drive. And if they're likely going to hopefully catch it and possess it. And sometimes they run right back to me with it. Sometimes they pick it up and they prance around and they play a little keep away. Sometimes they do their best to ingest it as quickly as possible. <laughs> um, sometimes so, they chew on it. Sometimes they don't pick it up. At sometimes all. they never pick it up. And so I've had some great bird dogs here that have never put their mouth on a bird, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and they're good pointing dogs and they've got plenty of chase. They're never going to be a retrieving pointing dog. Um, Usually those are going to be, I mean, this is a unfair statement because I get plenty of, plenty of continental breeds from versatile backgrounds that, um, that are full of point and don't have a ton to retrieve. Mostly we're looking at the good old pointers and setters when we talk like that. Um, that are just, they're just full of point. They may point the very first bird they ever smell in their life and they may point it from 50 yards, (laughs) Uh, but you, in some time, but you know, that said, plenty of those dogs come through here and are great natural retrievers. A handful of them come through here and don't have a lot of point. Um, so there's a broad spectrum and there's, there are always exceptions to all the rules. So, you know, but there's, there, you know, we, if we don't, make gross generalizations. We're not human, right? That's just a a way we, uh, experience the world. So, um, uh, so we've talked about point, a little bit of point and retrieve. Where was I? You're on week three introducing birds. So that's the bird intro. And I got off on a tangent as normal. Uh, what I'm hoping to see. So right now with the current group, this is the November group. I'm in the middle of week three. Um, they were, everybody began exposure, in week two in this class, it was a good group. 
And so I usually will begin exposure at the end of week two, if we're getting a good handle on everybody. Um, and so the last class was a little different. It was a little different time of year as well. So we had September, really thick cover, still really warm weather. Um, birds, not quite as flighty. Tough sending conditions. And it just seemed like every day was terrible sending conditions for some reason. We just never could get the birds on the wind right. Um, there wasn't enough humidity in the atmosphere. There was too much humidity in the atmosphere. It was just, it was a tough class for that, for getting them started on birds. And so points tended last class to develop a little more slowly. This class, we pulled everybody today and there's not a single dog that didn't show point. They didn't, not every single one of them showed perfect point, but a couple of them came out and really stuck some points. Let me get around in Mm -hmm. front of them. Um, you know, and we're, we're, we've exposed them to quail on the ground, uh, loose quail. So we talked about those birds being compromised to uncompromised birds, to birds that begin to evade them. Uh, with relative ease, which brings out that natural point, that stalking instinct. And we've transitioned to launchers at this point. So we've made our launcher transition for every single dog in this class. Meaning we've moved from quail that are compromised Mm -hmm. to quail that are able to get away to a pigeon and launcher um, introduction so that we can control the flush. That's right. And so today's setup. Um, they, this is not their first downwind exposure to a pigeon, but this is probably their maybe five at this point, um, with multiple setups a day, which is early for the program because everyone's been pointy. Yeah. And it's, we just, yeah, everybody's pointing. So it's nice. So, so what we'll hope to do there because we can control the flush is continue to extend their staunchness on point. Um, I don't call it steadiness. So if it's prior to the flush, you'll usually hear me talk about a dog being staunch. Just means that they're not moving before the bird flushes. I am still dropping the check cord for everybody here and letting them all chase. So whether I'm launching a quail or whether a quail's getting up off the ground or whether it's a pigeon um, leaving the launcher, I'm, I'm hoping every dog has the desire to chase the bird. The more desire they have to chase the bird, the more I have to work with. Um, in terms of developing steadiness as we go forward. And because, and if you've heard, you know, and, and we've talked about with Martha or talked about what we talked about with Martha Greenlee and training with Mo and kind of our way of doing things uh, as far as training pointing dogs, I'm starting with managing the chase to, to make the dog more staunch. So a dog that um, anticipates a chase will more like is more likely to break because that chase is satisfying. As I show that dog, it needs to manage its chase. It's less and less inclined to break before the flush. It's less and less inclined to creep before the flush. I find this to be for me, the most efficient and effective way of developing a staunch meat dog, a dog that doesn't want to creep on their birds. I don't, want to get in there and put a lot of pressure on these young dogs that are just in their first week of bird exposure. I'm not going to go teaching them whoa and putting any pressure on them in, in, in the presence of a bird. What, what do you mean by putting pressure on them? I don't want them to feel pain in the presence of a bird. So I don't, and I don't want them to feel, I don't want to 
create a startle response in the presence of a bird. I don't want them to feel pain. I don't want them to have perceived pain because they're threatened by me. I want them to feel in control. And I want what and what I mean is I want them to feel like their actions create the flush. So if if they just sit still, that bird's not going to flush. If they do take a step, the bird leaves because I have the power to control it with the launcher. I'm going to let them chase, let them chase, let them chase. Usually we'll extend the point to a pretty good, if the dog has some point in them, we're going to extend it just by flushing on their action, teaching them that their action makes the flush occur. If they can be more patient, the bird won't leave. If they're chasing hard, which some are and some aren't by the time they leave here, then we may start managing their chase. Dogs that I recall from the chase under pressure after the flush to the point that they begin to restrain their own chase will have a lower level of anticipation of the chase and therefore a much lower likelihood to put quote unquote pressure on a bird. They're not, the dog is going to be more respectful of the bird at that point because they're also going to find out that point. And this is what I hope I can send a dog that the objective is to be able to send you home with this dog that you can hunt with. So we can show it a bird. It, no, it wants to hunt. It really wants to find them. It points them. And you're at a place now where you can use your shotgun to reinforce appropriate behaviors, or you cannot use your shotgun in order to not reinforce inappropriate behaviors. And it's not a punisher necessarily. I mean, some could argue it would be a negative punishment, but I would argue in this case that it would be a non-reinforcer to not shoot or even shoot at that bird. So hopefully that makes sense to you guys. If you've listened to this whole podcast, that should that that last statement should ring bells of our first couple of podcasts. Um, and so that's it's this is where you come into play. So that's now week three. Week four, it's more of the same now. And this is when we, you know, hopefully we're chasing. Week four is the gun intro. Sorry. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm creating, we're getting, starting our bird manners. We're going to continue more of the same. And this is really important because we're, we, you know, we've already discussed gun shyness here um, as being a problematic behavior really in, um, it's not so much, it's not gun shyness as much as we're talking we're talking about environmental sensitivity or environmental instability um, leading to gun shyness. So this is really important when we get to week four. So this next week is going to be a super important week for us. That's where I'm going to need support. So I've got luckily I've got some day trainers like Josh and Devin and Jacoby um, and some other good clients that are here and every once in a while willing to give me a hand. And then Emily, of course. And we, you know, it's all hands on deck when it's, when it's gun intro week. And I always am hoping I've got somebody to handle a leash or I'm out front. I am continuing to evolve in the way I introduce guns. Um, I, the, with training a higher volume of dogs, the likelihood that I'm going to get environmentally unstable or environmentally sensitive dogs here to train has increased. And so what makes sense to me is that I treat them all. Everybody is environmentally unstable until proven otherwise. (laughs) Right. Uh So even if you like, look like the toughest dog in the world out here to me, I'm going to treat you with kit gloves on gun intro day. And there's things that I'm, 
starting to believe are better ways to introduce the gun than I used to. So I used to always just want them to be in chase because I knew that they were feeling elation, dopamine, whatever. And we would introduce the gunfire from distance there. Starting with a whip. Starting with a whip. Yep. So I like to use quite as loud what they call uh, an agitation whip. A lot of times, if you've ever been familiar with the sport of Schutzen, a Schlager stick with a whip on it. Um, I'm using that to just create noise as I'm moving around and I'll do that. I'm also helping dogs become more staunch. And I think I've mentioned this in other podcasts where I inoculate dogs to stress on point by just slowly moving in and making noise. And I'm using that whip. Don't get off track here. Okay. That could be, yeah. So either way, that's happening in, at the Gun end of week. intro with whip is where we were. It's happening at the end of week three, beginning of week four, where the whip is coming into play more and more. Um, then when the dog's in chase, usually the whip. Yeah, I'm still doing that in chase. Once I know our dogs are bird crazy, um, I, I now believe moving around to the front, having somebody handle the dog. So I'm now in front of the dog. Instead of bringing the intro, the gun in when the dog's in chase and we're all behind, as if we're shooting over pointing dogs, kind of naturally, I'm moving around to the front and we're treating it as a mark. And so the helper has the dog on a leash Yep. and they're holding them back, but yep. allowing them to pull and be excited and be crazy. Yep. And I'm in front and I'm cracking the whip and throwing the mark after I've cracked the whip. Uh, two things here. One, this is a direct, um, there's a direct influence from John Hahn of Perfection Kennels. And his gun, perfect gun shy fix method. I don't care if you own a gun shy dog. If, if you are getting a new dog, that's a great video to purchase and watch and they should be supported. He has some fantastic ideas and I trust that program. And I, um, for folks that ask questions and have made gun shy dogs and need to rehab that, um, that's the first first place I send them. So kudos to Mr. Han and his lovely wife and their video series. It's good. Everything about it. Um, I recommend perfect start, perfect finish and the perfect gun shy fix. I don't train that way. Um, but that doesn't mean I don't respect it and admire it and think it's worthwhile. And, um, and they have been around quite a while. They're very successful in field trials. They have nothing to prove. And, uh, every piece of content I've ever seen from them is worth viewing. Or, or worth reading or listening to. So highly recommend you look up John Hahn, Perfection Kennels, and The Perfect Gun Shy Fix. So that's the first, his, that entire program informs the gun intro for me now. That and the fact that I was kind of brought up in, in working dogs in general by a lot of retriever pros. And looking back on it, I don't, believe I've seen the number of retrievers, especially that have been in training. And this is completely anecdotal. I don't have any evidence to support this, but I don't think there are as many retrievers that are made gun shy as there are bird dogs. Go ahead. I just want to comment that that could also be because of genetics, right? Very, very high likelihood that that is because of genetics. More environmentally sound, stable. Yeah. And we could, and so... I'm going to follow that rabbit 
for a while, but I need you to bring <laughs> me back. All right. When I, when I'm done. So what, and really what we're talking about, this is a conversation that Emily and I have had offline several times. I'm of the belief that pointing dogs have bred into them a, a natural cautiousness because of the stalking instinct and because of the point. They have to be cautious. They ha- Yeah. And I think that there's an anxiety, a natural anxiety that comes into play around the stalk and around the point and, um, and places, especially that I've seen bird dogs gunshot is when they're on point and they do not mark the bird as it leaves and is in flight. And they're still in a state of point when when gunfire happens and they're not well introduced. And I think that they're in such a, like potentially kinetic anxious state that when startle response is elicited in that moment, it's catastrophic sometimes. And, and so, and it can even happen with dogs that have had a gun intro. We've seen it, you know, we've seen it here, you know, and I mean to say, you know, and, and I don't care, you know, I, we always want to be cautious and that's something we always talk about now, especially when, you know, when we've got a new handler out, um, and we've got other people helping us and we see a dog on point and Emily said it today. That's, that's a dog. That's a bird. We didn't want to shoot for that dog and you yes. did a good job. So that, that, you know, and we had a dog on point that did not recognize the bird fl- flushing. The bird the got up and the dog's head was still in the cover looking for it. So yep. it did not see the bird flush away. And exactly. That is not a bird we want to shoot. Even though this dog has had a very intensive gun intro, he's still on week four. Yeah. So even though we feel confident, it's not worth ever worth the risk. One bird is never worth the risk. Absolutely. And we, yeah, I mean, and we're not here to just shoot birds for him. And if he didn't mark it and we shoot it, what's the point? Yeah. You know, it's not like we're giving him, you know, now if he goes and finds it on the ground, you could argue that there's some satisfaction in that for him. But really what we're hoping to do for these young dogs, when we go out to shoot them birds is to put the entire sequence together for them and see that bird fall out of the sky. That's that moment where we captured the moment and we reinforced it appropriately. Um, so that's, you know, that's completely a theory that we've kind of worked up here, but it tends to make sense to me. But at the same time, I think when you put the gun or when you put the stimulus of the noise and the bird, which should elicit drive and dopamine, in front of the dog and we show them the whole picture. We show them at a greater distance there. I think that's giving them a better opportunity to absorb the information, to present them with all of the information. Here's a bird. I'm going to make a little bit of noise and I'm going to throw this bird and that making that little bit of noise. So cracking the whip before I throw the bird, it, that's a direct, that's directly influenced by the perfect gun shy fix. So it's it's completely it's a classical stimulus, if uh, and it's um, you know eliciting a dopamine response. So crack the whip, stimulate the dopamine response by throwing the bird at that moment. So the 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 noise predicts the bird. The noise predicts the bird. Mm-hmm. The noise predicts the bird. The noise predicts the bird. The noise becomes louder, but it still predicts the bird. And now at this point, it's. Uh, you know, we're not eliciting a startle response and we have a dog that's um, uh, coming into a heightened state of arousal as a result of the noise because it predicts the bird. Yeah. I just want to mention that I've noticed that with Ember and this isn't something we've talked about, but Ember's had 
now maybe three birds shot over her in her life. Yeah. But we started her gun intro a lot like this. She's seen a ton of marks where it's gun, then throw the mark, gun, throw the mark, gun, throw the mark. And all three birds she's had shot over her, she hasn't marked a single one because her head is so deep in cover. Yeah. But you can see as soon as she hears that gunshot, and I've got a video, she hears a gunshot, blitz breaks and takes off after the bird. Ember does not see the bird fly away, but as soon as she hears that gunshot, she takes off because she knows that means there's a bird somewhere. So I think that's a perfect example of how gunshot can predict, oh, something's about to happen and yeah. it's going to be good. So so that's it for me. I mean, that's a, I, from now on, this is how I want my all my dogs introduced so regard you know i want you pointing i want you bird crazy i want everything else but i'm going to get out in front of you and i'm going to throw you a mark just even if you don't if you're one of those bird dogs that does loves birds but won't put them in your mouth you're still getting it this way it may be a a clipped wing pigeon that makes a lot of action and you're going to give it some you know some chase hopefully um uh, but it's all happening in front of you I want to present you with all the information. I don't want you to be surprised by the fact there's a gun, there's gunfire. I'm, I, I want to um, make you aware of my intent to fire that gun and to give you something very pleasing once that's happened. And, and we're going to ramp that up slowly over the course of time. Cracking a whip, greater distance, we get 22, mm-hmm. 209s, shotgun. Closer and closer. Yep, closer and closer, shotgun with the muzzle. Um, in the opposite direction. Finally, we're shooting, you know, a live bird in front of you, and then we're going to the field. You know, that should be the progression. I think that's a good progression. Every once in a while, a dog doesn't let us complete that progression before they go home, before the end of the six weeks. Um, You know, we're trying. We're doing our best. But if a dog, if I start that on at the end of week three, and I give you two solid weeks or more. I don't think there's value in you leaving that dog with me long term to try and sort it out. I've kept enough dogs to try and get there that when I hand them to you are still going to be sensitive and you still need to do it the right way. That I think there's more value in you learning to do it the right way and going home with your dog and doing it the right way than there is with leaving your dog with me forever and me making it contextually okay here. And then you go put it in a different context. I don't have the time to take it hunting all over the country with every different person and every different gun. What I can do is make it contextually insensitive in my backyard and on our farm and set on the owl family farm. Um, yeah, but it still needs, you're going to, that needs to be treated. If that dog is so sensitive that it's not going to finish by week six, it needs to be treated as gun sensitive for a much longer period of time. So that's why I'm making this podcast. I'm going to tell you if, if you were directed by me to listen to this podcast, it's for that reason. And so I need, I'm going to talk to you on turnover day I'm going to give you explicit details, instructions, and I'm going to ask that you go order the perfect gun shy fix by John Hahn. And I'm going to show you where we're at in the progression. And I'm going to hope that you continue with that. If, if, 
I, I want you to go out and keep your dog in the field. I don't want you to be afraid of gunfire in the stratosphere. Um, and there's time, you know, we have to sometimes have low levels of exposure wherever you are. But that being said, what you can't control, you can't control. What you can control, you must control. You have to advocate for your dog. Yep. And and so if you end up in a situation where somebody else is giving you information that contradicts what I've told you, and um, then I hope, then what I need you to do is advocate for your dog in that moment and get out of there and just don't do it. Say no. Um, it's, you know, I if I'm worried about it here, there's good reason. I have tried. I have thrown everything I can at it within reason. And I am comfortable because this is all I do. Everybody that's a professional at anything becomes effective and efficient in a way that lay people aren't not because they're more talented necessarily, or even more practiced. The, what you get from experience is a willingness, willingness to take certain risks. So I promise you, like if I send your dog home gun sensitive, it's not that I haven't taken very well-educated risks to verify and diagnose and move forward. But I'm not, I'm going to do that. I'm never going to take as big enough risk to gun shy your dog. Right. So I'm slowly trying to inoculate it to that stress and that's where we're at. And so if it goes and it gets tossed right into the fire, um, you know, as soon as it leaves here, then there's a good chance that it's not going to do well. Right. Doesn't mean it's over. It means you need to go home and you need to relax and you need to get it out of your brain and enjoy your dog. Take your dog afield and leave the gun at home. And our first order of business is to make that dog comfortable in all environments again. Our second order of business is to try and make it a bird dog again, a hunting dog again. Um, and then after that, we can revisit the gun conversation. But until it's a bird crazy hunting dog again, it doesn't need to be shot around. Right. And so that's, um, I mean, we've spent a lot of time on, on that subject, talked about how I do it. I've talked about, again, you know, there's already great content out there addressing this that I, it's not exactly the way I do it, but it's, it's a good, good method. The only thing I would change about the gun shy fix at all is just to put the whole picture in front of the dog all the time as if you're throwing at retriever marks. Um, and again, not worrying about whether you're getting perfect retrieves. We're not trying to make it a retriever. We're trying to expose it to gunfire. So, man, I know I think we're still on week four. Yes. <laughs> right? We're exposing to gunfire, but that's it. So I'm exposing every dog here to gunfire from the word go as if they're gun shy. I'm treating that dog that I don't know, even though odds are you've told me how many times you've shot around it and it's fine. <laughs> It's, it's not that I don't trust you. It's that I, I don't ever trust a dog to, to not be gun shy until it's proven to me that it's not gun shy. It's not worth it. It's not. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it sucks so bad. And so many beautifully talented dogs come through here, um, you know, and that are a little bit sensitive that when they leave, you're just like, okay, man. And I give you everything I can, you know, and I need, and this, and this is it, you know, I want to make sure that 
I want to fulfill a responsibility. I want you to leave worried about it. Yes. But willing to continue to move forward. I think all owners should leave cautious about it. Yes. No, no dog is going to leave here at six weeks if they haven't had a prior gun intro and be like, yeah, shoot as much as you want around it. Yeah. Pay, Every always owner pay attention. Should, Just yeah. pay attention. Every owner should be cautious and yeah. making sure it's an appropriate situation yeah. to shoot around the yeah. dog. Everything is an issue of probability, right? You're, it's, there is a very low likelihood that Blitz is going to become gunshy <laughs> <laughs> tomorrow or that Pete is going to become gunshy. Yeah. Right. But that's, we're still, I mean, I'm talking a 99.99999, you know, in, infinity nines, you know, low likelihood. And then we have a spectrum from there, you know. And so um, if you've got a dog that's on its second week of being shot over, it's, there's no guarantee. So no. go treat it cautiously. Pay Absolutely. attention. We're going to talk to you about that. We're going to talk about not shooting if that bird's not marking or the dog's not marked a bird. You know, obviously we don't, don't put a pellet in your dog's ear either. Yeah. You know what I mean? If you got a low flying bird and you take a little bit of a borderline shot and you put that pellet in that dog's ear, you might create some <laughs> sort of, um, uh, association that you would not have wished you did. Right. And you know, you may not kill your dog. You may not even injure your dog really, but you may even that muzzle right over their head when you pull mm -hmm. the trigger is it's so much more intense. If you've ever been duck hunting in the swamp, and your buddy swings on one, um, and you end up under that muzzle, you know what I'm talking about. It's a different experience than being behind that gun or beside that gun. So, you know, don't put your dog in that situation either. Week five, polishing behaviors, bringing it together. And week six is hopefully it, we're out hunting with your dog pretty much every day of week six. That's my hope is that every day of week six is me taking your dog for us a miniature hunt and everything becomes more and more apparent. And I'm beginning to use the shotgun to reinforce the appropriate behaviors and not use the shotgun to not reinforce the inappropriate behaviors. And when you come to pick your dog up, everything's hunky-dory. And we have a two-hour turnover. And in which time, I'm going to teach you to use your e-collar. And we're going to spend a lot of time just walking around and having general control of our dogs. We're going to talk about how to be quiet when you're hunting and handling we, your dog yep. in general. I use two words very sparingly with my dogs. And one is here. And the other word, I'm going to say it. I use it. I, I don't think there's a problem with using it. I use the word woe with my dogs. I use the word woe with dogs that understand what the word means. Your dog at six weeks will not know what woe means. When I say woe to a dog, I mean stop in motion. Your dog will understand that if it makes inappropriate action around a bird, that that bird's leaving when it leaves here. That's what makes it staunch in front of the front flush, not the fact that I've hollered the word woe at it and shook it up. Or that you've used the check cord to stop it. Or that I've used the check cord to stop it. Or that you've used the e-collar to stop it. Or that I've used the e-collar to stop it. Now, if your dog's here for a longer period of time, more advanced dog, I'm certainly going to begin to teach that dog to stop in motion and to stand with duration. And if your dog is super talented, there's a good chance that I'll introduce it to those concepts in week six. Because I think they're valuable for the dog. But I'm not teaching you when you show up for turnover, 
you know, how to, what that is. I might show you what conceptually I've offered your dog and it's going to start with stop to flush for me and upwind bird work, but it's not woe. It's not woe in the traditional sense. I'm not putting your dog on a barrel and stroking its tail with a bird in front of it. And I'm not putting a flank collar on your dog. I'm not suitcasing your dog. I'm not putting a woe, put your dog on a woe post. And I, there's nothing wrong with other people doing that. It's not what I do. So if you're coming to me, you're bringing me your dog. Don't expect that from me. And if you choose to go do that with your dog and your dog acts differently, maybe it's because your dog has not been exposed to that in the past, you know? So anytime we train, it's about consistency, not intensity. It's about showing up every day and doing, making small progress. So if your dog is on point and it's a sensitive dog and it takes a step and you scream, whoa, and your dog has a weird reaction and you never did anything, you know, that's, showing you that maybe don't do that, you know, same with whatever else, you know, with putting any pressure on it in front of the flush, let the dog have a relationship with the bird, let the relationship with the bird, make it an effective pointing dog. And when the time comes to add more technical skills to that dog's repertoire, then we'll do that. And usually that's going to be after the first hunting season. Let them be wild and crazy and have fun. Yeah. And I mean, a lot of times for me with my dogs, it's after the second hunting season. I'm I'm never in a hurry with my own dogs. Usually my own dogs are like, by the time I'm like, okay, this dog's ready to be broke. Then it's like, I introduce the concepts and it's a broke dog. Like it's, it's always a moving target, but a dog is seen it it's it's done a lot it's had a lot of birds in front of it it's had a lot of birds shot for it it's had a lot of birds not shot for it um it's been recalled a lot in chase and so you know by the time if i've got that dog that i've recalled and i've never really taught a woe to um that dog's standing and watching birds fly off you know it may even stand and not pick up a bird that's been shot you know but it's not it's not a broke dog until it's a broke dog you know and you don't know exactly when that is, but you just keep going after it. So we're at, we're at an hour. Um, I hope, and I, like every other one of these things, this was a little rambling, but I hope I, I've kind of gotten across what I intended to, which is this is what our program is. These are some issues you may run into. I'm going to hopefully, I'm going to make some show notes. I haven't made any notes um, I want some resources up there. I'd like to put some resources. So I'd like to blog potentially about how to use, how we use the e-collar, um, with some, there's tons of YouTube videos on ET 300s. There's no use for us to make another YouTube video on an ET 300, but I do think it's important for you to know how we use them. So how to get to see only meaning <laughs> continuous pressure. Like you can look that up. It's very simple, but um, when you, when you leave here, I'm going to have gone over that, you know, we're, we're going to be, when you show up to pick up your dog, we're going to chat. And Emily has a very, um, a very good regimented program for her turnover. She's going to have her clients go do check specific boxes before they're allowed to leave. I'm not like that. <laughs> <laughs> right. 
I'm going to talk a lot and I'm going <laughs> to lose my train of thought and we're going to show you your dog and I'm going to hopefully convey everything that needs to be conveyed. But really what I want from you is to leave here and to practice in a progressive fashion. I want you to leave here and I want you to go for long walks without a shotgun. I want you to go to the preserve and learn. I want you to come here and learn how to plant birds from me and learn how to do a preserve hunt from Grayson, from me. I want to show you don't go and let whoever is working at the preserve plant your birds for you, plant 30 birds and three acres and expect your dog who's seen. Yeah. I want you to go out and I want you to have three to five birds and a minimum of 20 acres. And I want you to take them one at a time and I want you to watch each one. I want you to watch how your dog handles each one. And then I want you to adjust from there as a dog having trouble figuring out the wind is the bird planted. Is it, you know, is the cover too dense? Does the bird have, you know, too many options to stay on the ground. Is, is there not enough cover in the bird left before you showed up? And if it does, that's fine. You're not there to kill birds. You're there to work your dog. You know, if it's, if it's poultry, it's fun to go out with your friends. There should be a time when you decide to go to the preserve and take your friends and go for a hunt and not worry about your training. Um, if it's you alone and you're there with your dog to focus on your dog, then show up to focus on your dog. Yeah. Don't take your friends hunting the first time you go hunting with your, don't take uh, your friends hunting over your dog until you're comfortable hunting over your dog. You know, that's in in my, yeah, you know, and don't, and certainly don't let your friends influence you. And no matter how, how many bird dogs their grandpappy had (laughs) and how long they've been doing it, this is your dog, you know, and, and it's your job to protect that dog and, you know, and to protect that dog's drive to, to keep them healthy, protect their, um, attitude, yep, to protect their attitude and to keep them enjoying what you, you know, what you guys are doing together. So go out there with the idea that you're going to have fun, but, um, but be aware. So go, go train, get comfortable with your dog before you go out and the stakes are super high and you're going to be embarrassed if things don't go right. You know, don't, don't do that to yourself and certainly don't do it to your dog. What do you think, Emily? I think that's good. All right, guys. Thanks for showing up. Um, there's not a lot to pass. Uh, we I have attempted to have some group classes. I kind of dropped the ball on that in November. Um, but if you're on my email list, uh, expect to see an email for December. It's crazy. There probably won't be a Saturday, but I certainly want some weekdays in there if there's some local people that want to do some groups. Check out, there's a, a place to join my email list uh, on my on my homepage, on my menu. So if you're not on that list, go ahead and get on it. I don't spam you on there. I'm not marketing. I'm only passing information about events. So it's like, if we're going to have a group class, if maybe, you know, and I, I want to call it like an informal club type day, you know, those things, um, you know, that's, that's what the email list is for. Um, I, I have not updated my events page. I do have some UKC uh, field trials listed on the events page. So go check them out. Join, come out. If you're a NAVDA player, if you have, are a master hunter level player um, in, uh, in the hunt test game with your pointing dogs, check out the UKC field trials at the open class. There is a, you know, they're small, um, 
It's a kind of a friendly atmosphere. It's a lot of fun, but it's still competitive. And if you show up with a clean a dog that can get around the course clean, there's a good chance you're going to win. It's it's just the way it works. Now there's a good chance your dog will blow up too, right? Like these, it's a hard test. It's a it's a field trial. It's not a hunt test. It's not going to just be set up in your favor with everybody rooting for you. We're all going to root for you. Um, <laughs> but but that being said, you know. If you're if if your dog runs into a bad bird, oh well, you know, and and so it's going to be a test of how how well trained that animal is and how much he wants it. You know, a dog that putters around out there and doesn't really look like they care about it probably ain't going to win. But an enthusiastic hunting dog that gets around the course clean, steady to wing shot and fall, retrieves on command, any one of them could win any day of the week. And it's pass fail, so if you yep. are and, interested in getting a pass on a ribbon, yep. you can do that too. Yep, and you can get titled. You know, just passing. You know, mm-hmm. so it, it's a fun game. Check it out. I think I, I really like it. I'm going to keep playing it forever. Um, I'll, you know, and, and so we'd love to see more people involved in that game. Thank you guys for being here. And uh, we'll we'll put another one of these out one day. Until then. Hey listeners, Nick Larson here, host of the Bird Shop Podcast. As fans of this show, you may be interested in the conversations on the Bird Shop Podcast, where we discuss all things upland hunting, from upland birds and their habitat and conservation, to the shotguns, bird dogs, and gear used to pursue them. Whether you're a seasoned upland hunter or just getting started and wanting to learn more, I interview a wide range of guests, each with their own unique perspective and valuable experience to share. If you're on the hunt for more upland hunting conversation, please consider subscribing to the Bird Shop Podcast today. Thank you.